Hallelujah. Did I hear somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah. Hallelujah is the song of the ages, the song of praise to God. And yet, there is one who said, the place of God in my soul is blank. Is something missing? Has something been misplaced? The place of God in my soul is blank. What kind of cynical person would say that? Got to be an atheist. Got to be an agnostic. Got to be someone isolated and removed. The place of God in my soul is blank. Who would say that? It just happened to be Mother Teresa, one who served and gave her life and opened herself in amazing ways. Mother Teresa, the one famous for that smile of love offered to the hungry and the homeless on the streets of Calcutta. And yet, is it possible that what she expressed on the outside was out of alignment with what was on the inside? She was called a hypocrite by some when those words were revealed from her private diaries. And yet her words resonate with others who have been at that kind of place. And it could be that even this morning on this day in Houston, celebrating coming out, that there is someone here who has some feelings you're trying to keep inside. Uh, Another one said, God, if this is the way you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. (laughs) Who would say that? This was Teresa of Avila, the 16th century reformer and future saint. One who was known for her relationship with God being so deep that it was said that she levitated through the fullness of the Spirit and the presence of God. And yet she said, God, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few of them. Mother Teresa, Teresa of Avila, Uh, They were not alone in their words. They echoed the words of the scripture you heard today from Job. Job said it this way. Today I complain bitterly because God has been cruel. Despite all my groaning. If I only knew where to find God, I would go there and argue my case. I would say, God, do you know who I am? I am one who has served you and loved you. I have been there for you. Now, where are you for me? Where are you? Don't you hear my prayers? You're hearing everybody else's prayers. Where are you, oh God? I cannot find God anywhere. If I go to the east, God isn't there. If I go to the west, I find nothing. When God is working up north, I can see no one. When God turns south, I don't even catch a glimpse. The Most High makes my heart sink and makes my body shake in terror. If only I could vanish in darkness 
and thick gloom would cover my face. Do those words resonate with any of us here today? We've heard the words of Mother Teresa, Teresa of Avia, Job. Maybe this is closer to home. God, why did you make me this way? What, what were you thinking? I, I just want to have a family. I just want to be like everyone else. Why, God, did you make me this way? And why don't you change me? If you, if you really loved me, you would make me straight. <laughs> it, it, it's too hard living this way. No one understands. I can't stand the looks I get. What were you thinking, God? It hurts so much. Where are you, God? If you were real, you'd change me. Where is God? Something missing? Something misplaced? Maybe it's just a phase. Looking at the story of Job... At one time, he felt so close to God. And Mother Teresa, she writes of these moments of ecstasy, the ecstasy of being so close to God that called her into this lifetime of service. And, and Teresa of Avia, she felt so close, as did many of us. We, we felt so close to God. I mean, when I was growing up, I was the church nerd. I mean, I came out of the womb singing Amazing Grace. <laughs> How great thou art. <laughs> this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. <laughs> I couldn't wait to get to church every Sunday. I mean, I was at church the third week I was born, and I've probably only missed two or three of my entire life since then. I loved hearing those stories. I loved Sunday school where they had the flannel board and they'd put all those Bible characters. My favorite was Daniel. I imagined myself there in the lion's den, right there with Daniel, taming those lions and serving them little cat treats once they were calmed down. <laughs> I loved church. I loved the people of God. I felt so close to God. And then puberty hit. And something didn't seem right. And it didn't take long until I felt this amazing distance. What's wrong with me? Yeah, I still wanted to go with Daniel into the lion's den, but it's because I thought he was hot. <laughs> yeah, he was hairy, he had leather. <laughs> His breath smelled of wild honey. <laughs> but, but I was that one who felt so close to God. I would sit on the front row and record everything that happened in the service. And then I came to this place where I prayed and cried out to God because something was wrong with me. What had I done wrong? How did I end up this way? And I, who had sat on the front row, began to move further and further back. And soon I stood at a distance feeling like I was no longer a part of all it had ever been. And I started thinking, maybe it's just not true. Maybe this church thing is just culture. 
There I was a senior in high school heading into college and everything that had meant anything to me now seemed lost. But I had to put on the face, I was the pastor's kid. I had to smile, despite the fact that I was getting ripped from the inside out. What kind of God would put a teenager into that kind of place? What kind of God would make someone so vulnerable go through something like this? Why is it that sometimes it's the most vulnerable who seem to have to carry the most? There was a young mother who had no idea what she would face. A young mother who felt the presence and then the absence. The young mother brings her firstborn to the temple with an offering of turtle doves as her culture directs her. There the elder priest prophesies that her child has a faded role to play in Israel's life and that a sword, sorrow, will purse her heart also. Next, she flees with her child to far away Egypt, her spouse being warned in a dream that the king is seeking to destroy their boy. And when her son is 12 years old, the family travels to Jerusalem for the annual Passover meal. On the return trip, she is unable to locate him among relatives and friends, and terrified, she returns to the city to find Jesus in the temple discussing Torah with the elders. As an adult, his public ministry has been dramatic and tumultuous. But now, Mary's son has been arrested, tried, and convicted as a criminal. His final humiliation is to be forced to drag the cross on which he will be crucified through the streets. And there, he meets his mother among the crowd of weeping ones who will follow him. On the lonely hill, under the ominous shadow of the instrument of her son's torture, and death, the mother stands. When his battered and bruised body is taken down from the cross, she receives it, cradling him in her arms as she did at his birth. But now he is lifeless and spent. His friends take her child's broken body and lay it in a cold tomb. Jesus' shaken mother attends. Mary, the one who carried Jesus under her heart for nine months and continues to carry him still. Her heart pierced, broken, and intimate with her son's great heart is the earthen vessel into which all the sorrow of the world is poured. Mary, just a teenager, and yet holding in her arms that one she carried, that one she loved. Mary, the vulnerable one, holding Jesus, the vulnerable one. When she looked into his eyes, did she find herself saying, who are you going to be someday? What are you going to see someday 
Oh, had she known, would she have tried to protect him? Could she have protected him? Mary, the vulnerable one, counting his fingers, seeing the lines in his hands, holding them so softly and so tenderly, counting his toes, singing lullabies to him. Could it be that Mary, the one who carried God inside herself, could it be that Mary, the one who knew God more intimately than anyone, could it be that Mary faced the absence? Could it be that Mary came to that point in her life after carrying him inside of her and knowing him so intimately came to a place where she said, something's missing. Someone's missing. She'd heard the angels say, do not be afraid. And now there were no angels and there was no voice of God. Just Mary, empty, carrying all the suffering of all the people of all the ages needing a mother, needing a God, needing a presence. The scripture today does point us to the good news, and it may not seem like it. It may seem like there is no good news here. And yet, we find ourselves at some point in our lives resonating with Job and Mother Teresa, Teresa of Avia and Mary. We find ourselves sometimes searching. And oftentimes, it's those who have experienced God most deeply that feel the absence most painfully. So I'd like us to think about some questions that we may not be able to answer today, but questions that are true to our lives I'd like to look at what's not going on when we no longer feel the presence. What may be going on when we no longer feel the presence. And how each of us can support someone who is in that kind of place. First of all, what's not going on when we feel the absence? Number one, we are not being punished. God is not punishing us when it seems that God is not present. That was the first thought that went through my mind. I was a good little church kid. I figured I must have done something wrong. Otherwise, I wouldn't be having these feelings. At some point, I opened myself to some thought. I did something, and this was the curse on me. It was a theology that made sense to someone who had grown up in the church and was now in high school. The very first thing to remember when you feel the absence of God, it does not mean you've done something wrong. It does not mean that God is punishing you. So first of all, understand that we are not being punished. God does not punish. Number two, we're not being tested by God. That's the other thought that naturally comes. This, this must be some kind of test. God must be trying to teach me something here. While we learn through pain, God does not send pain in our life to manipulate the movement, the purpose, and direction of our life. God does not test us. Life 
sometimes tests us. And then God takes the test of life and walks with us through it. But God is not punishing, judging, or testing. God is working to bring about the best with the circumstances that we face. And Next, I'd like to look at what may be going on. Number one, what may be going on is that we are being dramatically impacted by the choices of others. It may be that someone has spent too many hours in the bar and has had one drink too many and has chosen to have another. And it may be that that bartender who is reluctant to serve that drink goes ahead and decides to offer that drink. And moments later on I-45, there is an accident and there's an innocent family (laughs) en route. And the worlds change at that moment. Other people's choices do impact us. That may be what's going on. It may be that there are other circumstances beyond our control. Or it may be that there is something going on and we just haven't looked at the connection. It may be that we're overworking and we're finding ourselves numbed through overwork. It may be that we're in a place of isolation. It may be that we have been impacted by grief, that something has happened and we no longer feel God. Sometimes that's particularly what happens when one loses a partner or a loved one in life. It may be that various factors have come together and the issue is actually physical. It may be chemical depression or other physical issues that are going on. What seems like the lack of the presence of God is actually something else. So the point is, when we find ourselves in that kind of place, don't take it personally. Realize that there may be something deeper than what we see on the surface. So how do we support someone who's in that vulnerable place? How do we support someone who comes out of a worship service and says, you know, everybody just seems to come out of here so lifted up. What's wrong with me? I don't feel the presence of God. The first way to support is do not give advice. (laughs) Saying things like, well, maybe if you just went more often, maybe if you prayed before you went to church, you would feel better. Maybe if you got yourself pumped up and psyched up before going in, maybe if you listened to Christian music on the way to church, you would feel better. Maybe it would work for you. This is what's worked for me. It'll work for you. Have you ever had a situation where you've mentioned someone that you have a cold and they start giving you all the different remedies? Have you ever tried all the different remedies at the same time? (laughs) Don't give advice. That's the worst way to support someone who's going through feelings of absence from God. So how do you support? Empathize. Listen. But don't assume your experience is someone else's experience. One thing to never, ever say when somebody is going through something is, I know what you're going through. Because the reality is, we don't know what someone else is going through. In fact, one person could lose a partner and be seeking to minister to someone else who's lost a partner. And though their experiences are similar, they are not the same. So what works for one will not work for another. Never say, I know what you're going through. 
Instead, simply be there, listen. The idea is to be an unconditionally loving, non-judgmental presence. I don't know what you're feeling, but I'm here to listen. I don't know how deeply you're hurting, but let's have a cup of coffee. Let's talk. I'm here. Empathy. Being present. Jesus said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but thine be done. Jesus prayed his heart out, and yet the cup didn't pass. And Jesus experienced every bitter and lonely drop of that moment. There was a time when Jesus did not feel the presence of God, and God did not answer Jesus' prayers. And there was a moment where even those closest to Jesus abandoned him. He said to his disciples who had promised to go anywhere with him, can't you stay and pray with me for even one hour? And they couldn't. And yet what Jesus did, even in that moment of great vulnerability and suffering, was to surrender to what was. We may not be able to understand what's going on around us. The questions may be unanswered. God may seem absent. We look to the north, the south, and the east, and the west, and we wonder where God is. And yet that's a moment when we can find a place of surrender to what is. To experience it fully, to describe it, and perhaps ultimately to find God in it. But if not, we find that the moment and the experience is a place where life becomes real. We surrender ourselves to the thought that God is present and work, though it may never seem to be so, and we do not feel it. In fact, Teresa of Avila, the one who said, God, if this is the way you treat friends, no wonder you have so few of them, also said, let nothing trouble you. Let nothing make you afraid. All things pass away. God never changes. Patience obtains everything. God alone is enough. It was true for Job and Mary Mother Teresa and Teresa of Avia, that sometimes the cup was full and sometimes the cup was empty. And yet, in all of it, they surrendered and opened. God, where are you? Could it be that, at least for now, you're here and here and here? Could, could that be you? We may not know at the moment, but we will take the hand. Hold to that hand. And it will be what it is for now. And what it is for now is enough. <laughs> 